Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. All right, welcome back to another episode of Managing Expectations with your host Tom Bogert. I got my friend Ari Lugewall here. Um, he, he's waking up early on the West Coast. It's not that early, but you know he goes above and beyond for the call. Ari of MLSsoccer.com, Seattle Sounders. He does everything in Seattle. Uh, follow him on Twitter. How are we doing, Ari? Thank you for uh, making making time for your valuable day. I'm good, Tom. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was you know it was tough to make it for this 10:08 a.m. <laughs> Pacific time start, but I was I was able to uh, mobilize. You can't teach that. You just can't teach that kind of energy, that that kind of dedication, and you just love to see it. Yeah, bringing 110 percent always. <laughs> As you can tell by the voice, it's absolutely 110% energy, uh, enthusiasm, all that. Um, so it's a busy week around MLS wrapped up with uh, midweek games last week. We're down to essentially everybody has two games left. There will be a couple games played over the international break. Brings us to the international break that uh, the U.S. national team have their final pre-World Cup camp. They're playing friendlies um, this month against Japan on Friday, September 23rd, and Saudi Arabia on September 27th. Um, before we get into what we're looking into, Ari, the first thing I kept on like double checking, triple checking that everywhere I read the kickoff time was correct. And I didn't have it wrong that it's eight twenty eight twenty five AM Eastern time because the games in, in Europe, but they try to make it uh, accessible to the fans in Japan and the United States. So it comes in at eight twenty five AM. The, my first thought was, oh my God, it's MLS's back tournament morning kickoffs all over again. I'm ready. Oh man, I didn't even make that connection. But yeah, do you remember remember that uh, getting up? Or well, I guess for me it was probably, it was worse yeah, because Jesus. it was literally six a.m. kickoffs in the bubble. Uh, so yeah, this is a little bit of flashbacks to that. I didn't even realize that it was an eight twenty five a.m. Eastern time <laughs> kickoff. So I'm just learning that now. That's unfortunate. You, you know, is that gonna, is that going to be a rewatch for you, or are you going to get up at five a.m.? That might be a rewatch. I'm usually for for the U.S games i usually can get motivated to do it but i mean 5 30 a.m that's tough I mean, man that's, i'm not gonna lie that's pretty tough yeah and particularly if it ends like a listless nil nil draw with about 400 substitutions like friendlies can be that <laughs> that'd be really tough scenes oh yeah <laughs> all right so um the roster i'm we'll get into it i think it's droning if i'm just repeating the roster i think you guys all know who's there by now uh but the replacements have been mark mckenzie and eric palmer brown and Johnny Cardoso in for injuries to Cameron Carter-Vickers, Chris Richards, and Eunice Musa. Um, Ari, what's kind of one of the bigger things that you're looking for on the field so we stop talking about whether somebody got snubbed or whether somebody should or should not have been on a theoretical plane? I mean, I think the main things I'm looking at personally are pretty much the same things that we were talking about during World Cup qualifying, which is, you know, who's going to be the goalkeeper and who's going to be the striker. Mm. Uh, those are, I mean, those are questions that we've discussed ad nauseum, but they still have not really been answered. And I think these two games should give us, hopefully, a little more data to look at um, as we evaluate who everyone thinks the best options there are. Um, I don't know about you, but 
I, I think I think one of the biggest guys to watch, obviously, is Josh Sargent. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I think a lot of us had kind of assumed that ship had sailed as far as him being a our lead the line striker at the. There were jokes about do we need another right back or not when it came to Josh Sargent, just because of how he was like forced to play with Norwich City. So it it has been a complete one eighty. It's been great. Yeah, exactly. But you know, um, if you look at his form uh, over the last like at least few weeks here with Norwich City, he's looked amazing. He's he's yeah. looked like the player that he was billed as when he was coming up, and everyone thought he was a sure thing as our number nine of the future. Um, so I'm I'm totally open yeah. to the notion that he's you know finally reached a point where he's figured it out and he's ready to take that step and be that guy. Um, mm. He's certainly making a good case at the club level, which that's one of the the main things you can ask for him. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I, yeah. Go ahead. I was gonna. I didn't know if you were gonna go to the center backs. Let's stay with the forwards for now. Yeah. Uh, but with, with Josh Sargent, I was talking to sources kind of. At the beginning of the summer, like it was very clear that Norwich were going down a couple months before the season ended. But, you know, you wait until there's meetings between club and player and all of that. And I was just asking, I was like, do you, you know, he left Germany when his team got relegated rather than staying in the second tier where he was probably going to get more reps as a center forward and, and definitely being a team that attacked more. I was like, is this is, is this the thing? Like he proves that he could belong at in the Premier League. Maybe not the best thing for his development necessarily, but like he could have been useful to a team that got promoted or a team that was also battling relegation. And the, from what I was talking to people, it's like he he likes it in Norwich, one. And two, as long as there's going to be some assurances that he's going to get a chance to play much more center forward than he did last year, like, he would love to stay. Like, he understands that he needs more reps at that position. Like, it was it was a good, mature thought that he had. It wasn't just, all right, maybe I'll get more money or oh, I'm too good for the second division. Like, I'm not going to do this. So it's worked out as perfect, like as perfectly as they could have hoped for. Uh, it took a couple games for him to play center forward. I think Timu Puki got hurt, but it, again, he's on the wrong side of 30. He'd been there forever. I think that it was pretty clear that Sargent was going to be their number nine at some point here. And he took that uh, opportunity with, with both hands, like going back, like you, you talked about it a little bit there saying that like what we all thought he was going to be like, he was supposed to be the big, like, he was a bigger prospect than Tim Weah was. He was supposed to be the like Batman to uh, the Robin to Christian Pulisic's Batman. Like, this was the can't miss big time U seventeen U twenty prospect. Like Tim Weah played at the U twenty World Cup. Josh Sargent didn't because he had already progressed to a point in his career where like he was viewed as past that, and his club weren't going to release him for that tournament. So I don't know. Seeing him ball out like this is cool. I'm not really worried about center forward. Maybe we still should be, but like I'm a big believer in Jesus Ferreira. He has his strengths. He has his you know weaknesses or maybe things that could be viewed as weaknesses at, at, at a World Cup or a national team level. But if Jesus Ferreira is playing 75% of the minutes at center forward, like I'm, I'm completely fine with that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a believer in Jesus Ferreira too. I just, I have a hard time kind of, until someone really steps forward and proves it and is yeah. banging in goals consistently. And, you know, really no, no one has taken the job uh and just and and just earned it for themselves i I think ricardo pepe is another guy we should probably talk about here Mm. because there was some you know i think a lot of people felt like that they were confused as to why he got called in but you know when you're talking about guys that have had their chance to make their case he's the only one who really had a consistent run i think where he looked 
where he looked really like that guy. There was that stretch in qualifying where yeah, the problem was this was 12 months ago. It was September well, and yeah. October. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But now you know now you've got him at a new club, and yeah. he finally uh, he finally got his first club goal. And I think what was pushing a calendar year was it yeah, it, it was it was ten days short of a calendar year. Okay, so I think that was an important monkey to get off the back just to see the ball go in the net. And, you know, all, all and that, that helped with the pressure of all the questions of why the hell did he get called in? He hasn't scored a goal in forever. So that timing worked out for both Pepe and the, the coaching staff. Exactly. And I, I think it's plenty worth uh, calling, him in, calling him in and giving him some run and to see if he can recapture that. Because, I, I mean, I get that it was a year ago, but I, there's still I think there's still something to be said for the fact that he was basically he was our only center forward who was consistently. Mm-hmm scoring in big moments in important games in world cup qualifying um so i'm okay with giving him run and i'm looking forward to seeing what he can do yeah i mean i've warmed up to this in general like i get it like if you think that he's got the biggest talent the biggest potential you don't write him off because he didn't settle in at augsburg immediately or whatever and that he got loaned to ground again so I, on one hand i do understand that but like on the other with the national team pool like if you're, it's not even just what the message sends to, like, say, Jordan Pifok or, or any of the other forwards that could have been called in because of what Pifok is doing. It's like, you know, how does that trickle down to a center back that's kind of on the bubble? Or like, well, Pifok scored five goals in the Bundesliga and he's not getting called in because of a kid who they think has potential or whatever. Then, like, what the hell does it matter what I do? So I understand it from both sides. It is, it is difficult. It's in the eye of the beholder. Uh, but yeah, so we'll see what the minute split, I guess, is between. Ferreira, Pepe, and Sargent, but um, yeah, I have really high hopes for Sargent. Maybe it's it's a little too much of a short sample size to get too excited, but again, this kid had had the the biggest amount of talent for the number nine. He was there wasn't even supposed to be a question. It was supposed to be Josie to Josh Sargent. Uh, neither of those really panned out because Josie kind of faded pretty quickly from the national team pitcher, and Josh Sargent never really got there. So it's been kind of a barren stretch of a year and a half of, of like, all the different options that have played up top. Jesus Ferreira's emergence. Uh, so yeah, center forward's a big one. One of the big things that I'm looking towards in these two games uh, that I hope to see reinforcement of some positive signs from the last window when they played Morocco and Uruguay, this team got out in transition a whole lot more. They pressed a whole lot more. And I think that that fits the best players on this team. Tyra Adams, Weston McKinney, Christian Pulisic in, in particular, it fits them best. So I was really encouraged to see them kind of change their style a little bit depending on the quality of the opponent. Like I understand that you can't, you know, get out and transition against Honduras or Costa Rica or even Mexico at times. They, they were giving the U.S. national team a lot of a lot of kind of leeway and and respect. But against kind of these bigger teams, these World Cup teams like this team, the United States, I think, are at their best if they're getting in transition and running. So I hope to see more of that against Japan and Saudi Arabia. hundred percent. We're going to have to play like that at the World Cup if we're going to want to have success against these mm-hmm. teams. I mean, there's going to be there's going to be games where we're a little overmatched in terms of just the raw talent that's on the field. And when you're in that situation, being able to absorb pressure, get out in transition and just um, try and strike that way. I mean, that that's probably the most effective way to get results. So Mm. yeah, I agree with you that like one thing to look at in these two games is how effectively we can kind of uh, foster that style a little bit more than we were in in qualifying where like you said in CONCACAF it's maybe a little bit harder to play that way um so yeah stylistically I think that's a good shout um I know that you kind of mentioned goalkeeper I'm ready to skip over it just because I think it's Matt Turner and this should be clear it shouldn't be a discussion but all right do you have do you have anything to add before we just breeze past this because I'm sick of talking about the goalkeeper position (laughs) 
No, not really. I, I, I tend to agree. I, I feel totally fine and comfortable with Matt Turner um, being the starter, not too concerned over his lack of game reps at Arsenal. I think he can slide in and be fine. Um, I mean, at, at the same time, uh, once again, it's, you know, you it's a situation where we feel like there's obvious answers or answers that we want to be the answer and it's just not, you know, fully solidified. So I guess that's sort of where I'm at with both goalkeeper and center forward is I, I would like to see some sort of step towards like definitive resolution, you know, yeah. which I feel like we still don't have. But my, my frustration is this should have been definitively resolved on the first game of qualifying. This should have been Matt Turner as a starter. I don't know why it's a discussion. Like Zach Seven has been abominable in the championship. He he had some bad moments in Manchester City. I still think he's a good goalkeeper. But I think it's pretty clear that Matt Turner is the best of this group. And whether, you know, you're worried about him not playing a ton. Like, I don't know, Ethan Horvath didn't play at all for most of the last few years until he got on loan to Luton this year. Like, John Johnson, like, I, I think that there's a clear ceiling with him. And again, from he's out of contract NYCFC this year. Um, from what I've been told, there there was some real talks and there still could be more real talks about like a big club in Europe that wanted him to be like a second or third string. And that's something he's open to. So like, maybe he's not going to be a starter. It's like, I know the World Cup is before his contract expires, but like, I don't know. I think that it, it's just Turner. And, and I've, you know, I just lied to everybody by saying we're just going to skip over it. And we just spent two minutes on it. I hate myself. I hate myself for lying. I'm not I'm not even letting you rebut that. I'm just going to let that sit. It's, I'm going to dictate her this podcast. Um, the other thing is center back. I thought it was going to be whether Long or Richards was going to get the first chance at being or like to, to, the, to be the starter next to Zimmerman at the opening World Cup game. Richards yet again got hurt. He's just, you know, this isn't an anti-Richards thing. It just is what it is. He's been unreliable. Anytime that he's gotten a run of games, he's gotten hurt. It sucks. I feel bad for him, particularly at this point. Like, um, I don't know anything about the injury. I I believe that it's not supposed to be long-term. Like, he should be back for the World Cup. But I don't think that you can toss him out in that first game as a starter next to Zimmerman if he's not at this camp. So it comes down to long, has a golden opportunity here. And then, I don't know. Like, I haven't been convinced by Mark McKenzie with the national team. And Eric Palmer-Brown, I think, would be ahead of him. But again, I've... If Long doesn't look good next to Zimmerman, then that's a big problem. Yeah, I, I would say that's one of my primary concerns on on the roster is who the who the CBs are are going to be that first game at the World Cup, or I guess you know, like you said, who the one next to Zimmerman is going to be. Um, at this juncture, I, I I feel okay about Long, but I, I think these two games are going to be are going to be telling. If that pairing looks good, then I think you can hang your hat on that and um, and move forward with that. But that that is a little bit sketchy, isn't it? Yeah, like yeah, but I I think stylistically he fits really well. Like Doyle uh, put put out a couple clips, but like particularly if the team is going to be playing when a little bit higher up, more transition, and it has more relies on athleticism and aerial ability, like. The United States against, I believe it was the Morocco game in the clip that Doyle had, was like long, won a 1v1 aerial duel. And like the whole point is to repress and just get it back up in the final third and win that second ball. And the midfield of McKinney, Adams, and Musa are really, really good at winning second balls because of all the dynamism and and the engines that come in there. So I I, like long fits better than that because like Mark McKenzie's a better passer, but this isn't a team that's looking to play. I guess necessarily 60% possession. Like they will build out of the back. Like long will be required to, to complete passes and break some lines, but like it's more important that he can defend in space. Like he does with the Red Bulls. And it's more important that he can win those aerial duels pretty consistently. Like he did um, in his minutes against Morocco. So, you know, that that's just, I don't, I don't understand necessarily the hate that comes 
from mostly people who, who I guess, you know, I want Brooks or whoever else from, from Europe or Richards, I guess, without, before he got hurt. I don't know. I like, I, again, I feel fine if, if long is indeed starting next to Zimmerman, because again, look at Zimmerman. Like he is an MLS lifer. He's somebody who wasn't even on the October roster before um, John Anthony Brooks pulled out because of personal reasons. Um, and then now he's been the, the, anchor and the, the absolute starter on that back line. So I don't know. I just think that there's not a lot that separates that and that that's a fine pairing. Yeah. Agreed. I, I feel totally fine uh, with Zimmerman long and then Richards as your kind of yeah. like top three center backs there. And you kind of rotate based on matchups and who's the freshest. And I think that's how you'll see it play out. Yeah. I think that's fine. I, I really have no, uh, I, I ha- let's put it this way. I have a lot more anxiety elsewhere than I do. <laughs> I think that's a good way to put it. Anything else from this roster? Any other guys that you're looking at? You know, Johnny Cardozo, Malik Tillman, or or maybe some of the guys vying for starting spots like Brennan Aronson trying to figure out what's the best way to get him on the field alongside Reyna and Pulisic. Yeah, I think you hit it right there with, with Brendan Aronson. But, um, I, you know, I think overall just getting through these two games as healthy as possible. Like, <laughs> I'm just looking at the at the at the roster right now, and I see Gio Reyna on there. I'm put him I'm in so, bubble wrap. <laughs> yeah, put him in bubble wrap. I'm always so excited to watch him play, but uh, I really think that a fully healthy Gio Reyna um, is potentially the biggest X factor for for the upside of this team. You know, because mm-hmm. his talent level is obscene, but he's just hasn't been on the field all that much in the last year or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I, yeah, I think that's the main other worry I have is just getting everyone through these two games as healthy as humanly possible. Yeah, I, I, want, I want to see Reyna have, you know, 70 minutes on the field, like for when he recovered from injury at the end of qualifying. I don't think he, he started a game just because of where his body was at, where his fitness was at. So, you know, I'm looking like he's an awesome super sub, but obviously this is one of the biggest talents in the world for his age group. So, like, I'd love to see it more consistently. So just hopefully his injury luck, his injury misfortune is behind him. Um, so, yeah, that's. U.S. national team playing against Japan on Friday, September 23rd, and Saudi Arabia, September 27th. The opponents were obviously, it, it's just so nice to not watch another CONCACAF game after watching about a billion of those since Cuba, it felt like. So I'm really looking forward to this as a ramp-up to the World Cup. Yeah, 100%. It's going to be good to see them back on the field, and we're getting we're getting close. It's like, you know, November is, is fast approaching. These games are coming. Yeah, 180 more minutes of national team play before the World Cup. That's exciting. So moving on from the national team, uh, this week at MLSsoccer.com, we released our 22 under 22 rankings, um, and this is a good time to do it with the international break coming up, a little reset for the MLS season. This is one of my favorite things to vote on and be a part of every year. Like I take this probably too seriously, like the amount of, you know, I had I had a preseason ranking that I just had for myself. I had like a midseason, all right, what does this look like now? And then I was pretty painstaking over when I was filing my vote, which Again, my vote counts the same as if somebody just kind of shot from the hip and did it. So that's that's completely fine. Uh, but I, some of some of the bigger ones is Jesus Ferreira was number one, Tiago Amada number two, Tyler Magno three, Gaga Sonino four, and Julian Araujo five. So that's the top five. Ari, what was your voting process like? I, I, did you have Jesus as number one as I did? Yeah, I had Jesus as number one. I think that um, that was a pretty clear one. I, I yeah. read your little rap of. Um, the anonymous GMs giving their takes on the list yesterday. And um, they seem to, they seem to have the consensus that we got that one, right? Um, so that's good. I think, I think the whole, the whole top five 
um, makes sense. Though a lot, one thing people were talking about a lot was how Gaga, are, you know, could have been higher and arguably could have yeah. been number one. And that just kind of comes down to your criteria for for how you personally rank it. I think I I think I had Gaga in the top three, um, but you know, like you're looking at two different things when you're when you're comparing a guy yeah Ferreira to a guy like Gaga like Ferreira's whole case is predicated on the elite production that he's already shown it could be best XI this year yeah Gaga's whole case is based on potential right like his theoretical upside and and the fact that he's going to Chelsea yeah like like he's been he's been fine in MLS this year but obviously not as good as Jesus and sorry to, to cut you off but just to for those listening who don't know it's based on whatever you want to uh, rate it as in the eye of your voter. If you wanted to just do it as these are the highest potential 22 players you could, or you could do it. These are the best 22 right now you could. So people depends on what you value more, the higher upside slash the, or, or the kind of current production. I think for, for me, I, I try to value more current production, but top the, the, the discussion for the top spot has to be a combination of you're playing well right now. Plus, you could be a eight digit transfer in the future. So I think that we got that pretty right with the top four. Right. Going on. I, I tend to value like current production more as well. Um, and, you know, that that's why Almada is number two, because, you know, he's been stuffed in the stat sheet for Atlanta this year and looked very dynamic. Looks like one of the most talented attacking players in the league. Um, but that, you know, when you have, when you have a prospect that's as decorated and as much pedigree as Gaga and already has this big transfer to Chelsea, um, that that carries a ton of weight too. And I do think Gaga has shown it in the games. I know his form with the fire has been a little up and down this season. Mm-hmm. You know, how much of that is him? How much of that is the team around him? That's kind of, uh, that's a factor you've got to think about too. But like, I really, I don't know, like uh, you're, fully in-depth take on the, on the Gaga hype. But I, I got to say, like, when, when I do watch him play, he he makes he can make the type of saves that change games, that alter the entire trajectory of a game. Like, he can affect the game from, a goal keep, from the goalkeeper position in a pretty, like, unique way that you see from a lot of elite goalkeepers. Like, I do see that in him. It's just going to be a matter if, you know, he can – perform at that level consistently game in game out um, mm-hmm. and eliminate those mistakes. Like I totally like there, there seems to be a little bit of a debate on like how much of this is just hype versus his actual ability. Mm-hmm. I, I see that. I see what everyone's talking about um, in the, in the fire games that I've watched this year. I was watching them a lot more closely at the beginning of the year because they were actually pulling results. Yeah. We were talking about it. We were like, hey, Chicago doesn't look pretty that bad. They're kind of they're they're stringing some shutouts together. Um, they they might make some noise. It didn't end up working out like that. No. And went up and, and went up and down like you would expect from an eighteen year old. But um, I I think that the whole discussion over his upside is is very real. Yeah, and so it is funny that you point out that like there is there actually is a discussion over like I remember one. It was an exec, a front office executive that I was talking to from one club in like May or June, and they had just lost, so he was probably in a bad mood. But I did, I did get something back. It was like, yeah, the problem was we all just decided he was really good, and I was like, I think that that's too far and too critical. In that, like, it, it like there are signs, like there is a reason why Poland, the Poland 
Federation wanted to get him into the national, the senior national team immediately to try to sway him from the United States. There's a reason why he was on the cusp of the last rosters. There's a reason why he was a 17 year old starting goalkeeper in MLS. Like a top flight starting goalkeeper at 17 years old doesn't happen anywhere. Like it rarely, it's like uh, Donnarumma with Milan is like the first one I think of. There's some players in France that have kind of broken through as well at like a teenage, but like these, it's it's more impressive that he's starting, even even when there are mistakes. Like the fact that he was able to convince numerous coaching staffs and and the club to okay, like Nate, you're you're 17 at the start of the season, you're our starter. Like that's unreal. Yeah, no, 100. percent It was it was kind of crazy to watch that ascent and then how it ended up with him literally getting that transfer to to Chelsea. But no, I mean I'm definitely. Uh, I'm definitely excited to see how he does when he goes abroad. And, you know, I think there's a lot of future potential U.S. men's national team implications there as well. Um, I'm just kind of scanning through the rest of the top 10 here. Let's, let's, stick, let's stick with the top five. I, I want to talk about Thiago Amada because you said, oh, okay. I think he's, he's like a really good juncture of what he's done over the last six or eight weeks. Like he clearly looks like an, an incredible player. Um he was bought for $16 million. So he like, he damn well better look pretty good. Um, and he's in the Argentine uh, senior national team, which is insane. But yeah, he was the one when I was talking to GMs and, and scouts and stuff of like, who's likeliest to be sold for the most money. It's like Tiago Amato. It was like borderline unanimous. It was like, yeah, like Gaga's like add-ons could take him to 15. Like if Atlanta paid 16 for Almada and he's like playing well over a year, like he, the value doesn't go down. Like it's more likely that he, challenges Miguel Almiron's like league record fee of 27 million outbound or 26, whatever it was, than it is that he sold for less than, than the 15 million. So yeah, he, he's a really good talent. I, I'd be, I'd honestly be surprised if he completes a second year in MLS or at least like next winter, he'd absolutely be gone. I can't imagine like, I'd again, almost be surprised if he lasts the next two transfer windows. Yeah. I mean, it took him a little while to get there, right? Like I, there, there was a lar- a large portion of this MLS season where people were talking about Almada, like, you know, yeah, he's been fine. He's been okay, but he hasn't been this amazing game wrecking force that, you know, he was billed as when, when they got him. But I think over the last, probably, probably at least a month, he, he's been in great form and he's putting up his numbers and you can just see, um, you can see how how much he affects the game for Atlanta. I he's a big eye test guy too, man. Like he's a big eye test, test guy. Like he, he jumps yeah, off like the you screen. Can, you can see it. I remember um, a few weeks ago, Atlanta had a game at the Galaxy, I think, and there there was all this controversy because for whatever reason Pineda didn't start Almada, uh, and everyone was kind of confused as to why he wouldn't be starting. I think he had just he was coming off a really good game and they were struggling mm. at the time. And uh, so he subbed him on at halftime when I think they were losing or still tied zero zero or something. The whole game just completely changes. It looked like an entirely different team playing out there. He's the mm. type of player that, that has that, that kind of ripple effect. You know, it's, it's not just um, getting numbers for himself. It's how he combines with his teammates. He's a very unselfish player. And um and some of the goals he's been scoring are are pretty ridiculous. He's just, he he puts them on the highlight reel. Yeah, and and like it it is like I wonder what he would look like in a different team. Like like again, one of the GMs was like, yeah, like it's he's playing like this and showing this talent in like a disjointed team. I, like I think Atlanta's been better of late, 
but like, I don't know, something more structured, like someone like Seattle or, or whatever, like there's been so much going on with Atlanta with, you know, the discourse around Joseph Martinez and him not moving very much like the, all of the defensive issues with that team. Like what if the foundation and the structure was a little bit better for him to thrive? Like what more would he look like? What more numbers would he put up? Like, I wonder how many, if any minutes he's going to get with Argentina over this window. Like, I can't wait to see highlights of what he looks like with, you know, these world-class stars like around him. Like, I just think it's, I don't know. This is a, this is a kid that I, I think everybody was, didn't, didn't hype up as much as maybe they would in years prior, just because of his profile pedigree and transfer fee, because everyone was so acutely hurt and burned about the Ezekiel Barco experience, which was insanely frustrating and years of waiting for him to turn out. And same thing with Brian Rodriguez, to be fair. But like <laughs> Almada went to the same club as Barco in, in Atlanta United, wore the same number, had like a, like a, a short haircut as well. So it's like if you're, when you're watching the game from the broadcast, it's like, who's that number eight? Oh, my God, is that Barco again? Like he's going to he's going to screw up and not make the right decision. But it's that very clear that this is a different player. I didn't even really make that connection, but that probably was part of it. Is didn't help him is what I'm going to say. When he started slow at the, the whispers of Barco 2.0. They're they're going to come out. But. Uh, I mean, he's, he's already been better this season than Barco yeah. was yeah. during Atlanta tenure. So. One one player can make decisions at a high level and the other can't. Like, again, Barco has all this the skill in the world. It's, like, unfortunate that he didn't put it together. But it just got so frustrating watching him again and again make the pass at the wrong time, take two extra touches when he shouldn't have, dribble right dribble. instead of left, or when he did release the pass. Huh? Dribble into five guys yeah. when he has an open layoff. Dude, and then you wouldn't be paying attention and it'd be like a Saturday night, they're playing Columbus or something and, and there's four other games on, so you might not be watching that one. It's like, oh, Barco had two goals tonight and they were both from 25 yards out. Oh my God. It's like, why can't you do that more consistently? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, one other guy I wanted to talk about in the top five is Talos Magno. We'll just keep this brief. Like, I'm a huge fan of his. I think he's really, really good. Again, this is another player bought for like $9 million. Fun, really fun. One of the best dribblers in the league already. And I think he just turned 20. Brazilian. He was playing in the Brazilian first division before NYCFC uh, acquired him. I think that he's so much better as a winger than a center forward. I'm so disappointed to watch them try to make him a center forward because he's clearly he's clearly a winger that can play center forward, not the other way around. So NYCFC did not buy another or add another center forward when uh, Tati Cassianos left. They even doubled down by adding Matias Pellegrini, who's a winger which theoretically puts more pressure on Magno to play through the center because it was either him. Bear is the only natural center forward. So I think as a winger, and, and what again, one GM put it to me, like, yeah, he's a Champions League player as a winger. Like, I don't like him as a center forward at all. So I, I think he, he's got how, all the talent. How, how often have they been playing him at center forward? For a, a decent majority. Like, I think he's played more minutes at center forward than Bear has since Tati left. Wow, I actually didn't realize that. I, I just assumed that when when they sold Tati that they were slotting Heber in. No, nah, the, the the original plan, I think the, particularly the first couple of games were, was him up top um, rather than Heber. But then Heber got hurt in the uh, Campionis Cup. I think that was a minor injury. I don't know if he's back yet or if he's about to be back. But, you know, I, I think that this this group is at his best with Talos Magno as a winger. And again, like whether you think that Gabriel Pereira is probably a more impactful player than Heber is, like, the knock-on effect of having to have Tyler's Magno at center forward rather than Bear. Again, we're getting caught in the weeds here, but I, I think that he's he's a really, really good player. Oh, yeah. I think he has an argument for just most fun player in the league to yeah. watch just uh, with the skill he has and the things he does. Um, I, lo- I love watching him play. Me too. Um, 
some of the the five to ten. What are we talking about? Ra was five. I don't really want to get into him too much more. John Tolkien six, Alan Velasco seven, Ismael Coney eight, Mahalo Pokemon, and Jack McGlynn ten. What were you saying? I'm a big Ismael Coney guy. Me too. He, like I remember when when they signed him, they, like he is technically a homegrown deal, but he was at like a different Canadian club. Like so, somebody in Montreal was like, "This kid's legit," and I was like, "Who the hell is this?" He was he wasn't in any academies. Like, what do you mean nobody discovered him? And then like from the beginning of the season, I was like, "Oh my god, this kid's incredible." Yeah, no, I it's kind of it, it's frustrating that Canada just has another one coming up <laughs> that they're gonna torture us with in Concacaf for the next. 10 to 15 years. Um, good for them though. I mean, he, lo- he looks like a great player. Um, and I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of a sea off Montreal fan in general. That's sort of my <laughs> bandwagon. I, I just, I just like, I just like how they do things. Um, but he, uh, I mean, he, he's not long for the league, is he? No, he, they, they had two bids that they accepted that fell through. Like, um, North City, I would believe the report was like five and a half or six million. And then it reportedly fell through because of they couldn't agree on a contract, Kone and, and, and Norwich. And then on deadline day, Sheffield United had a deal with them that was, um, hey, if we sell our starting center mid, which it seems like we're about to, we'll have we'll sign Kone. Like if, if everything's agreed, like that move didn't come through because Sheffield didn't end up selling that player. But I was told that Kone was excused from training that day to be able to be ready to do medical and have everything sorted for that transfer that fell through. I'm I'm, I'm glad that he's going to be here through the playoffs because both of those moves would have happened immediately. So he's going to be with this team. I think still starting center mid for the playoff push. That'll be fun. Um, given how close he's been to transferring and the fact that I'd be shocked if he's not on Canada's World Cup squad. I'd like I. By the end of the season, will be his last minutes in MLS. Like I, I don't see it getting any further than the winter. Like if if you're another team in, in Europe, being like, well, you just accepted a five and a half million dollar bid. Here's five and a half million. Like he's worth this. Wow. <laughs> great, great, great response. I'm going to move on to my my large adult New Jersey son, John Tolkien. Yeah, I, was, I, was, I, was I love it. Sorry, I was listening, but I was uh, I was looking at something else. You um, gave me a wow. Yeah. <laughs> John Tolkien should have been the highest fullback on this list. I, I think that he's ready to go to like Salzburg or something like that right now. Yeah, well, is that your is that your Red Bulls, uh, New Jersey? Your your roots coming in there, or is that he's, your your actual take on his on his? That's team? my actual take. He's they have they haven't had a backup left back for two years, and this kid is like still played at, like. It's not just because he's the only option. It's like, all right, we don't need anybody else because we have John Tolkien. And the, the, the mullet helps, all that stuff. He's got, he's got the swag. He's, got, he's a big vibes guy. I love John Tolkien. He, and, but he, yeah, like, he is a big vibes guy. That's, that's probably the first thing that comes to mind for me <laughs> when I think of John Tolkien. Um, uh, if you have the list up, I think we can just hit random ones as we go down. I'm going to talk about Jack McGlynn a little bit. That's one of my favorite players to watch. I'm, I love a good, you know, cultured uh, deep lying midfielder who's breaking lines and like, I don't know, he, he gives something, he gives Philly something that nobody else on that team currently offers. Like, and they haven't had since Harris Madunian and left. I remember Jim Curtin was telling me that like, yeah, McGlynn's left foot is the, is tied for the best I've ever worked with, with Harris Madunian. And it was another one of my favorite players to watch. I, I have a thing for slow defensive midfielders who are still good. Yeah. It's just crazy how many of these kids that Philly has, but I mean, he's, he's top of the list. It, if you look at how, Philly has during this crazy stretch that they've had where they're blowing teams out like 
five zero six zero five one four zero whatever it is they're averaging like four or five goals a game scoring at a ridiculous rate he's like he's been playing like starting a lot of those games playing big minutes playing a big role and not only that but like actively contributing to the kind of buzzsaw that they've created which is very impressive like one thing that I always try and look like look at when I'm watching like a young homegrown player coming up like that is, you know, how much of it is blending in and being tentative for Mm -hmm. fear of making mistakes and how much, how much fearlessness is there to actually influence the game and make your imprint on it. And McGlynn has that with his, with his passing and the stuff that he, and, you know, two way player as well. He's very versatile and, brings a lot to the table in that way so he definitely in these last few weeks has kind of I think established himself as perhaps the kind of you know front runner guy among this really overall impressive group of homegrowns that they have I'd only push back because I think that it's Paxton Aronson McGlynn and then there's a little drop off like the difference between McGlynn and and Paxton Aronson is that Paxton Aronson can't get minutes because Daniel Gazdog, the player in his position, is in the MVP conversation. Um, that's not, again, not to take anything away from McGlynn, but I think that Paxton Aronson, we'd be saying something similar about him. Like, I've talked to people that they said that he's probably already, like, a more talented player. And, again, that's saying a lot because McGlynn is very, very talented. Um, but Aronson just has something that, like, again, there's been teams in Europe that, like, I, I've reported last year, like, before he made his MLS debut, Salzburg were – coming over regularly to watch him in training. And then like in no uncertain terms, the Philadelphia front office was like, we will not entertain a transfer offer for him right now. So like F off. Yeah, that's, that's totally fair. I wasn't factoring Paxton in there. I just think, I don't know, for me, it's easier when, when I've, when I've seen it, you know? Yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's totally fair. It's through, it's not through any fault of. Yeah. He just hasn't really had the chance that McGuinn has had. That's totally fair. To, to actually make his mark. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> you're uh, talking about an embarrassment of riches there <laughs> when you're talking about Jackson, Jack McGlynn and uh, Paxton Aronson. That's, boy, that's, you know, most teams would love to have one guy yep. with, the, with the type of upside that both of those guys have. And, the, and that's not, they have like six of them, you know? So Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. And then, so they had three players on this list. Leon Flock was the other one who I think doesn't have the ceiling anywhere near some of those guys. But like, if he doesn't improve at all, he's going to be, just a, a 12 year starter in MLS for like a good player. Like that, that's again, that, that I had him pretty high in mind because I was trying to not get seduced too much by potential. I was like, again, like look at what he's done over this, these two years with this team at like 19 and 20 years old or whatever he is now. Um, again, if, even if he doesn't get any better, like that's just going to be some dude who has a, has a dozen years as a, as a high level starter in MLS. Like that's impressive. Yeah. I feel like he doesn't, he, he barely gets talked about at all, but. Um... Because he's, and maybe because he's like, like in, in the most endearing way, he's like a boring player. He works his ass off. He's, he seems, he's always everywhere. And then he completes kind of simple, correct pass. Like he's a really good player and does his job really well, but it's not like, like McGlynn has free kicks. McGlynn has these left footed swerving passes. And then Paxton Aronson, you have the Brendan Aronson stuff. You have other things he's doing in attack. Like, Leon Flox was out here doing his job, working his ass off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, people might forget how young he is because, you know, he plays like such a such an elder <laughs> statesman. But, uh, yeah, he's only 21. Wow. So um, I'm going to put you on the spot if you remember, but Obed Vargas comes in at number 15. Do you remember where you voted him for or what position you voted him at? Um, 
Did you or, like, or Jonathan Siegel have in his top 10? One of you guys told me that. Maybe it was Siegel. I feel like I had him around around 15. I don't know if it was exactly 15, but I might have I, I might have put him in the top 10. I might have. Um, I wonder what it would have been if, if he didn't pick up that back injury because he's been out well, for months or whatever, I, I right? Like, that, that's the only reason. If I, if I did rank him lower, that, that was the only reason why. Um, because he got injured and didn't get to play a full season this year, he really only got to play the beginning of the season. Um, but, you know, I've watched him more than um, than any player on this list just because, you know, I'm, I'm plugged into Seattle every week. And he's definitely the most impressed I've been with any of the homegrowns that they've brought up. And they've had a couple actually – uh, take on bigger roles this year. Uh, Josh Atencio and Danny Leva have been uh, have been the starting pairing in their mm-hmm. defensive field for the last few weeks. They've had a ton of injuries at that position, and yep. it's really kind of been a mess all season that area of the field since Joe Paulo got hurt. Yeah, but um, I think uh, people kind of forget that when uh, the Joe Paulo injury first happened in the CCL final, when Obed's slotted in. Um, their level stayed, you know, not to what it was when Jao Paulo was the starter, but certainly much closer to that than it's been since Obed got hurt. I mean, that that injury was pretty devastating to the team. Both yeah. of those were. Um, but I think the Jao Paulo injury could have been withstood more yeah. if Obed hadn't gotten hurt. But it's crazy I, to say about a 16-year-old who, like, We've all been talking about, like, Danny Leva was, like, their first, like, big, supposed to be next star coming out of their academy. And then Joss Atencio played really well last year, kind of came out of nowhere as well. So all the talk about the young center mid and, like, Torres was in there, too, or, or Serrano. I, I believe a couple names that, that might might not be exactly correct. You, you, as the Seattle expert, would be able to tell me more. But, like, Obed Vargas was, like, anonymous. Like, nobody was talking about him. And then it was like, oh, he made the bench. Oh, he's playing minutes. Oh, my God, this is a 16-year-old, like, kid from Alaska that's looking – completely at home next to Jao Paulo, one of the best players in the league against the Liga Mackey's team. Like it's, it's, it's insane. Like where he kind of came from. And again, like there was no like hype on, before he got his debut. And maybe if he hadn't missed the last two months, we'd be talking about him in the top 10. Yeah. The, the first time I saw Obed play was actually in the famous, uh, Austin FC, uh, away game of 2021 where Seattle had a, they had a ton of injuries and I think like guys, uh, gone for, Internet. Oh yeah, yeah. So it was Raul Ruiz Diaz and the kids. Yeah, so they set the record for starting players in the starting eleven that were age nineteen and younger. They had <laughs> it was like five or six of them. Just the entire in that game, man. full of academy kids. Uh, and Obed, I had, I had, I, I'd heard his name at the time, but I had, I don't think I'd ever watched him play. Yeah, I didn't no. know much about him. Didn't know who he was. He was. 15. You texted us a picture of him, and we were like, "This, this is a, this is a middle school kid." What do you mean yeah. he's playing today? He was 15 years old at that time, and you know him being 15 and you know play, uh, playing in that situation, like at Q2, which is a really intense. Yep environment like i was like this lineup feels borderline reckless like this kid is 15 years old he's i don't like i don't know if he's ready for this like i was questioning it and then they famously won that game because they (laughs) hold it zero zero into the second half and then Rui diaz hit hit one from like 40 yards over brad stuber and they won it one zero and it was like this big kind of galvanizing win for the organization and like all all of those homegrowns were part of that 
Um, and then if you look at Obed's ascent since then, I mean, like you said, he, he was starting and playing heavy minutes through a lot of that CCL run. And it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a novelty thing. It was Schmetz evaluating it and saying like, you know, this, this is objectively the player on the roster that I, I feel best about uh, putting at these, this position in these moments, at, you know, at 16, that was, that was pretty Incredible. crazy to watch. And it's, it's just so unfortunate that he ended up sidelined for most of this year because um, he, he was going to have a chance to be a feature guy on this team. And, you know, what, you know, like going back to what I was saying about Jack McGlynn, you know, uh, like a young player who, who influences the game versus blending mm-hmm. in. Obed, Obed yep. has that where his presence on the field actually affects the game quite a bit. He wasn't, uh, like stacking crazy numbers on the, on the stat sheet. Um, but I, I, I really think that that's going to come. I can think of a lot of instances where he really should have had an assist and uh, you know, the, the chance just didn't get finished, but I, I think he's going to be a guy who, who can be that like really locked down two way midfielder who also is a really gifted passer and can be a little goal dangerous. Like I, I, I think he's got all that in him and that's, that's what I'm really excited to see if he can put together um, next year. Yeah. Yeah. Again, he's just phenomenal. Um, before we get out of here, we'll talk about a, a few air quote snubs or, or whatever phrase you want to use for guys who didn't make the list. Um, I think John Duran should have been on the list. He's 18 years old. He's with the Colombian senior national team right now. Before Chicago signed him, he was um, put in in the Guardians' like next gen list of like future stars or whatever, which is pretty exclusive group. And again, it doesn't always mean you pan out, but they they haven't they don't miss too often on that list. So John Duran ended up like in the voting it was like thirty second. Like I thought that would have been much closer to the top. Um, is there anybody else for you that that bigger surprise than than that? Oh, who were the, I mean, there was, there was like a group of names that people were talking about. I, uh... Gabriel Pereira, uh, Gabriel Pereira, somebody, Gabby Pereira, somebody that um, I think should have been on there as well. Like yeah, that would have been a good one because that, that's a good one for someone who's actually, you know, made yep. a uh, proven impact like this season for one of the better teams. I, I think that's a good one. Um, Daniel Edelman. I, I I got yelled at by a couple people that I didn't vote Daniel Edelman in. Um, granted, he didn't start getting regular minutes until we were getting closer to the voting, so that's um, always a little tough. And now you kind of have your list form, and then again, there was a, a, yet another season of of a really strong crop of players. So like, getting a handful of starts right before the vote like doesn't always do it. But Daniel Edelman, I think, is, is just I don't know what his ceiling is, but I think that his floor is pretty high as just like a. A hardworking, solid, strong defensive mid. He's a captain for the USU twenties. Like he's a good player. Uh, I don't know how far he'll go, but like he, he's very clearly an MLS player right now. And again, if he doesn't improve at all, that's a good that's a good career as is. But again, he will get better. I just don't know where he's rated among scouts. Yeah, just um, just looking at this list of names that you sent me, like it's it's pretty. These are the guys who just missed in order. <laughs> Caleb, Caleb Wiley is another one. I really like Caleb Wiley. Atlanta have already rejected. Atlanta already rejected a transfer offer at some point over the year that would have been more than they sold George Bellow for Like this is, this is a big talent. Yeah. Caleb Wiley has been great this year. It's, it's funny to see these, you know, like Nathan Harrio and Quinn Sullivan, like th- those are guys that you look at it. Like 
all things being equal, like even like a year or two ago, it's like that they seem like no brainers. They might be just a victim of the fact that we can't have every mm-hmm. guy on there because they're going to take up the whole list. Um, I think guys like John Duran, uh, it might be a situation of just like he's kind of come on recently, right? Like, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think the difference there is that like they Chicago bought him for like two and a half or three million dollars. Like he was he was a known commodity like before he got to MLS. He was playing regular minutes for two years in Columbia before he got here. And like again, you watch him play, and it's just like, oh yeah, like that that's a big talent. Like again, he was in the he's in the Colombian senior national team ahead of Chicho Arango, who has sixteen goals or whatever it is. Like ahead of other Colombians in MLS, like Edward Atuesta really never got into the Colombian national team when he was in MLS. And and like John Duran, because of how big of a talent he is, and he's already put on like his Instagram live story answering a question of like, I'm ready to go to Europe. Like, we'll see how much longer he's here. But like, particularly of, like, if we're just doing it by potential resale value, like he's up there with like probably whatever the group is after Talis Magno, Tiago Amada, Jesus Ferrer. Like he's up there with like Tolkien, like Velasco's probably a little ahead of him. Like, wouldn't surprise me if he was sold for seven or eight million or, or more than that. Another one of these guys that I'm looking forward to watching is definitely Diego Luna. I've been she's will, yeah. I've been following him pretty closely just because. Uh, so I'm a diehard New Mexico United fan in the in the uh, USL Championship because I'm from Santa Fe originally, and so New Mexico United's biggest rival is El Paso Locomotive. Um, so th- those are like the most heated derby games of the season. And Diego Luna for El Paso would always torch oh, me. He's so much fun. It, like him, him in the USL was crazy, you know, and uh, watching him do that at 18. Like I, I, I remember being on that train pretty early because I would, every one of those games, I'd be like, who is this kid? Like, what <laughs> and then, you know, you, you read about him a little more and you're like, Oh, okay. Like, this is a very high upside player. And so I definitely wasn't surprised when he made the move to MLS with RSL. And I'm, I'm just kind of curious to keep tabs on that one, just because I think the, the USL, the USL youth to MLS kind of pipeline idea, like maybe we'll see more of that. And maybe uh, he's kind of going to be looked back on as the, the first like big kind of yep. breakout player to make, make the jump in that way. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I forget. He's he was absolutely the most expensive USL to MLS player. I think he's still one of the most expensive USL transfers uh, to RSL. So again, yeah, uh, Diego Luna. He's he's one of my favorite players to watch. He's just like a throwback, old school tennis. Like he's got he got a fun like a different body type. Like he like again, not even trying to make jokes or whatever. Like he he's just a different kind of player. He sees the game differently. He's just yeah, he's so much fun. I'm looking forward to seeing like what what more Pablo Mastroeni could do on like the off the ball because like on the ball, a kid's special. It's like off the ball, how is he going to develop and, and what can he do? And Pablo Mastroeni probably aren't too many better coaches or better systems for him to be in than, than under him. So on that, because Ari's clearly all talked out, I think that's where we'll cut it. Uh, we're talking U.S. national team, 2202, some of the brightest stars in the league. Ari Lillingwall, again, follow him, MLSsoccer.com, Seattle Sounders stuff, Twitter, all this. Uh, Ari, thank, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Tom, anytime. <laughs> all right. Till next time. 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.